Can you hear me okay? Oh, there we go. There we go. Good, good, good. Hi. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? Good? All right. Um, boy, that looks like fun, right? Um, I'm, there may be a time where Pastor Dan and I have actually tested out the bounce house, but there's no pictures to that effect, so... <laughs> Anyway, I am so glad that you are here. Uh, for those of you who are here uh, in the auditorium, those of you who are gathered online, glad that you are here too. By the way, my name is David, if we've not met, and uh, for the next 30 minutes, I'll be your guide, your Sherpa of Scripture. And uh, I have a little question for everybody. Um, have you had somebody <clears throat> in your life that you just look forward to hanging out with? They're just one of those kinds of individuals that they have this positive impact on your life and you, you just really enjoy being with them. Now, here's a pro tip, fellas. This is the point of the sermon. You look at your wife and you go, that's you, baby. Mm-hmm. Yep. You'll thank me for that one later. No, it's, it's one of those individuals where you just can't put your finger on it, but you just enjoy being around them. You just enjoy hanging out with them for one reason or another. When you're with them, you just feel better, right? There's, there's those kinds of individuals. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you've had somebody like that in your life, I want you to do something with me. I want you to take a second, close your eyes, close your eyes, and I want you to picture that individual, okay? Whoever that person is, I want you to picture that individual. And here's what I want you to do. In the quiet of your own heart, I just want you to thank God for them. Just right now, just say thank you, God, for that individual in my life. There's a reason why I asked you to do that. It's because those people are special indeed to us, and they make us better human beings. And we're going to talk a little bit about this as we go along. I've been fortunate enough to have a number of people in my life who are like that, that I just enjoy um, hanging out with for one reason or another. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, and this might come as a surprise for some, maybe not, I don't know. One of those individuals, um, notable individuals, was my mother-in-law, and her name was Corinne. And uh, out of all of Lisa's siblings, um, Lisa reminds me the most of her mom. And she was one of these individuals, she was um, on the small side, um, quiet, kind of bookish, uh, introverted in, in sort of a way, and yet was this marvelous conversationalist and just had this way about being positive. That's the only way I can describe it. And I've thought about this for, for a number of years. Um, she was almost always encouraging every time we saw her. Let, let me see if I can give you an example of this. So when um, we were pregnant with Elizabeth, sorry, when Lisa was pregnant with, with Elizabeth, <laughs> caught myself there. When we were pregnant with Elizabeth, we decided that we weren't going to tell anybody the names that we had picked out. Because here's what happens, right? You can say, oh yeah, we're thinking about the name um, Phil. And somebody invariably would say, oh, I knew a Phil in high school. He was such a jerk, right? And we're like, eh, I don't want to deal with that. Uh-uh. So we weren't going to tell anybody the, the names that we had picked out. <clears throat> and we went over to um, Lisa's parents' house for dinner. I think it was like Thanksgiving or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And uh, my mother-in-law asked the question, so have you picked out any names? Now here's the problem. <clears throat> she was such a great lady that you couldn't say nothing, right? 
it would, it would just be kind of one of those, well, you were afraid it would be kind of offensive to her, and, you know, she would never take it that way because she was this positive person, but you loved her so much that you just didn't want to disappoint her. Does this make sense? It was that kind of a thing. So we decided that we would, um, if anybody ever asked us, we had a couple of names. And so what we did, actually it was Lisa who did this. She goes, well, if it's a boy, we're going to name him Nemo. <laughs> and if it's a girl, we're going to call her Shaniqua. My mother-in-law was completely unflappable. And she said with a little grin on her face, because she knew we were pulling her leg, she goes, well, those will be unique names, won't they? (laughs) Completely deflated us at that point, right? We thought it was so funny. But notice how she did it in a positive way, right? She didn't, you know, shake her head and, and get all, you know, fake upset and, you know, some people kind of do, but rather she was very encouraging about it. Well, it'll be unique names. Yeah, that was kind of the person she was. I always felt a little bit better when I talked with her. Um, and it wasn't, you know, very, very often that, you know, we would have deep conversations or anything like that. She was just this encouraging kind of person. And, and it wasn't like she had uh, a tremendous amount of what I would call wise counsel. I mean, she had some of that, but that wasn't really what made you feel better. It was just this positivity. I, I, I think I can, I can say with a certain amount of confidence that she was truly an authentic optimist. Does that make sense? It's just a person who is optimistic about things. At least that's, that's the best way that I can remember her. Now, perhaps you know someone like that. I hope that you do, because they're really very interesting people. And all of this kind of came to my mind um, as I was reading through a particular passage. Um, It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to punch that one in. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're only going to read one little verse. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but this is our main verse for today. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um... E, can you give me the next slide, please? <clears throat> Paul is writing to this, this church, and he's actually boasting a little bit about, about the church. Uh, let's read this. By all this, we are encouraged, he writes to them. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Now, understand that within the the context of history, that what we call 2 Corinthians is probably the fourth letter written to the Corinthian church, most likely. Fourth and fifth, actually, they're kind of jammed together at the end. And so there's been correspondence back and forth, and, and frankly, Paul has had to correct the Corinthian church uh, on a couple of things but apparently they turn things around. And so here he's saying is that we are encouraged basically by the progress that you've made and we're encouraged by you. He's even boasting about them a little bit to the other people around him. Now what's so fascinating to me is that Paul has this orbit of people, or I should say he has these people who are in his orbit. They are uh, pastors and teachers and prophets and individuals that he would often send to other churches to encourage them or to teach them or to correct them. So names like Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos, Timothy in particular, and of course, Titus. 
And of course, there's a book that bears his name, a letter that uh, Paul writes to Titus, but that's the same individual. And here he's saying, we were delighted to see how happy Titus was. So apparently Titus went to that church, hung out with them a little bit, and came back and gave a positive report. It's interesting um, because um, he uses this term, refreshed. I really like this. This is what caught my attention when I was reading through. It says, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Now, we need to understand this word a little bit, okay? <clears throat> so the word in Greek, for those of you who are inter, uh, in, interested in such things, it is an apou. Yeah, right? An apou. It sounds like a, a, like a city in southwest Oklahoma, right? An apou or whatever. It's not, it's Greek. Um, the term carries with it the idea of recovery and recuperation, okay? It's not actually translated to English as refreshed in the New Testament most of the time. So please understand, there's a lot of words in Greek that don't have direct translations to them, and so the translators actually make some interpretive decisions on how they're going to translate it. So you remember there's a point where Jesus is saying, um, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you, what's the word? That's this word. Rest. So we often will take this Greek term and translate it as rest, but here the term is refreshed based on the context because it doesn't have necessarily a direct translation. Nod your head so I know you're tracking with me. Okay, good. So we have this, this idea. Now, I am dangerously tempted to talk about, about this idea of refreshment, um, and I don't necessarily want to develop it too much, but I want to suffice to say that the way the word is used is that there's some cues here. There's some things that we may want to think about. The idea that Jesus wants to give us rest, the idea that he is refreshed, Titus is refreshed, is not the sense of I go to rest where I'm all done. Rather, I am allowed to recover and to recuperate. Why? So that I can re-engage. Does this make sense? So when Jesus says, I will give you rest, it's not like, whew, game over all done. No, no, I'll give you rest because you need rest in order to recuperate that you might re-engage in your destiny, whatever that happens to be. Whatever the kingdom work that you're engaged in, you get a chance to be, to be refreshed and to rest. Does this make sense? The idea is, is um, it's, it's actually quite powerful. I've learned recently that <coughs> when you are, say, lifting weights, that, of course, the, the, the growth occurs in the fact that you're challenging the muscle, but the growth actually occurs while you're resting. Not necessarily in the exercise, but rather in the recuperation. And so it is with us spiritually as well. And so rest is an important thing. It is not just important, it is mandatory. Have you ever wondered why one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Now, some of you probably remember a little more legalistic understanding of the Sabbath day. 
I remember growing up in a very Dutch, Calvinistic West Michigan is that a lot of my friends, they would go to church on Sunday morning in a suit and tie and they were required to stay in the suit and tie all day long and sit and do nothing, which is like the most unrestful thing for a 10-year-old ever, right? And never understood that, but as I got older, I began to understand the importance of rest. And the reason why it's built into the Ten Commandments is this. How important is a day of rest to a slave population? Pretty important, right? So when God says to take a Sabbath, when to take some time off to rest, he is trying to tell you, you are not a slave. Rather, you are a son or a daughter, and you deserve rest. And in fact, you cannot continue in your labors without rest. It is something that is vital to your spiritual life. It's vital to your life, period. And so here we have this little tiny word that sounds really funny to us, but it is packed with meaning, right? You have this idea that that here we are, we're supposed to rest. And this beautiful phrase comes because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Talking about Titus here. Paul is proud of the Corinthians. They extended hospitality to Titus, and in many respect, they showed him Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who talked to us about rest, right? So rest is a, a big piece of this puzzle. You must rest in order to recuperate so that you may re-engage in your destiny, whatever that happens to be. In another letter, um, Paul writes to the Ephesians um, this term. Go ahead, next slide. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's refreshing. The idea here is to try to do what is helpful, what is building up. Typically speaking, when you're talking to one of those individuals that you like hanging out with and they're a bit optimistic, this is what they're really doing. So they're building you up. It may be very subtle, and it's one of those things where I can't really put my finger on it, but I always feel better. It's because they're building you up. Now, that doesn't mean they're blowing sunshine at you all the time, but it does mean that there is a certain attitude that you know that they are for you. That's refreshing when we understand that people are for us. And I think that's kind of what he had in mind here when when he's given this advice. Perhaps when he wrote that to the Ephesians, he had this proverb in mind. This is Proverbs chapter 16. Next slide. Gracious words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul, and, and listen to this, and healing to the bones. How many times have you been in one of those circumstances where you're just down versus, you know, for whatever reason? And somebody just has the right word for you. And there's a part of you that knows that that word isn't just from that individual, but it's probably from the heart of God. It's healing to you in some way. It doesn't take the whole thing away. It doesn't, you know, Jesus is not a magic wand. You know, it's not that he erases all of it, but there's this part of you that you feel just a little bit better because of something somebody said to you. It's healing to your very bones. You know what I'm talking about. It, it happens every now and then. When it does, it's a beautiful thing. 
And so what I'm trying to get across here is that our words and our conduct matter to the kingdom. It matters to the kingdom. Because that's alleviating suffering in some small way. It's to be refreshing to other people. Now there's one other place that I want to point out where Paul writes about this in the same uh, stream. This is Colossians chapter 4. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now notice the the back part of this, this verse. Full of grace. We extend the grace to others that we have received from God. There's a passage in uh, 1 John. We love because he first loved us. This is the same idea. So be full of grace in your conversation with other people because you've received grace and so what you have received you ought to freely give. And then it says season with salt. Now I love this phrase. I like this one an awful lot. Because when we're talking about salt, we're talking about a time in the world where Um, you don't necessarily have a whole lot of culinary choices, okay? Uh, They didn't have the internet, so they couldn't, you know, come up with Madagascar vanilla or whatever. I don't know. You know, different, you know, tastes and flavors and whatnot. The primary one is salt. Interesting, we still use salt. And so salt, when things are seasoned with salt, it's more interesting. It's more interesting to taste. But salt also does something else, too, When you have too much salt, what do you want to do? You want to drink more. And so salt creates thirst. And so what Paul is saying here is be full of grace, but be interesting. Be interesting enough about your relationship with God that it creates thirst in the other person. You tracking with me? The idea here is that we're constantly engaged in that kingdom sort of activity. Um, I had a Uh, another pastor that I know who used to have this great phrase, uh, love them so much that they finally ask you why. It's the same kind of thing. Trying to create thirst, trying to uh, uh, create that desire for them to know a little bit more. Now, this last little part, so that that you may know how to answer everyone. I puzzled over this one for a long time. It may be that you have some supernatural knowledge that, that might be the case, But then it hit me, as I was thinking about this, when I'm talking to other people, it is never wrong to be grace-filled. Do you understand that? It is never wrong to be grace-filled. In fact, I think what often happens is that we, especially when we're talking to somebody who may come from a different perspective than we do, is like we look for things that are wrong. We want to poke holes in the argument, even though we're just having a conversation. It is never wrong to be filled with grace. Never. Now that doesn't mean that you, you, you don't have to call people out on stuff, but you can still do that in a grace-filled sort of way. It is also never wrong, in, in my view, to be salty. Jesus salty, not the other kind of salty, okay? Let's be clear about that. It's never wrong to be salty and grace-filled. And that is how you answer people. 
He's not talking about what to answer them with, but how you're supposed to answer them. You will always know how to answer. Grace-filled and seasoned with salt. This is a how verse, not a what or a why verse. And I think that there's a, there's a, a great deal of wisdom in that. Because I don't know about you, I tend to like people who are grace-filled. I don't mind when people tell me the truth, right? But if they do it in a grace-filled way, I'm more likely to receive what they have to say. Does this make sense? You're that way too. We all are. It's not necessarily what you say, but how you say it, right? So grace-filled. And it can be refreshing. Sometimes when you are called out on something, but it's done in a great grace-filled, salty sort of way, you receive it better and you are refreshed because of it. It doesn't happen very often, but wouldn't it be great if it did? Isn't there a part of you that wants that? I know I do. I want to see that. So this is what I want you to know. Or here's the question, maybe, is a better way of saying it. Can we be refreshing people? Can we collectively be a place where people are refreshed just because they're hanging out with us? Can we be a refreshing people? Can we be 2 Corinthians 7 kind of people? Refreshing, not uh, reserved, not recycled, but refreshing kind of people. Can we be a place where people recharge so that they're able to re-engage? Can we be that kind of place, that kind of church? Refreshing to the souls of others. And are we willing to take up that challenge? Because it's a challenge. Because you've got to think about somebody other than yourself. You actually have to think about the people around us a little bit more. And so if you're willing, um, let me offer just a couple of suggestions. So if you have a journal, you might want to write this down, a couple of things. I think the first thing to remember is that everybody is on the first impressions team, right? Everybody is. So when folks walk in, you're part of the first impressions team. Uh, I have been uh, in churches, as you have probably as well, where we are very clearly the visitors and nobody comes and talks to us. It's like, wait a second hold up, I'm new here, <laughs> you know? I don't know how you do things. And so everybody is on the first impressions team, whether we realize it or not. So keep that in mind. So here's the first, first suggestion that I have. The best thing to do to be refreshing is to simply acknowledge someone else's existence. Lisa was telling me an interesting story. Um, uh, for those of you who don't, don't know, uh, we foster kittens at our house. And so we have a great relationship with our vet. In fact, I don't have an identity at the vet. I'm Lisa's husband. Okay? That's how I introduce myself. Like, oh, you're Lisa's husband. Yeah, that's me. Okay. She was in our vet the other day, and they were a little bit busy. But um, Lisa made the comment that she was working with someone at the counter, and somebody else walked in, and the person was so busy, did not even acknowledge that that other individual had walked in. And she was a little frustrated by that because it would have been a simple, hey, uh, I'll be right with you. Acknowledge the fact that there's somebody else in the room. 
right? Acknowledging somebody's presence is the first step to being refreshing. I see you. I acknowledge that you're here and I acknowledge that you exist. Likewise, if you can figure out their name, use it. There's a reason why the cashiers and why the, uh, the waiters and waitresses wear name badges. Use their name. There's nothing more beautiful than listening to the sound of your own name, somebody else call, calling you that. There's a, a group of um, people who work at Panera. I go there every Sunday to pick up bagels, right? And I've started to get to know them a little bit trying to call, trying to remember to make sure that I call them by their first name. Because that's refreshing. I see you. You exist. You're not just some tool that I'm using to get my bagels. Rather, you're a human being. You're made in the image of God, and I acknowledge the fact that you're there. So acknowledge someone else's existence. Say hello. It's easy to do. The second thing is be interested in them. Ask some questions. Like ask them their name <laughs> if they're not wearing a name badge, right? Something simple. Find out one thing you couldn't know just by looking at them. Little things like that. It's a big deal. Ask questions. Because here's the thing. It's not just that I'm acknowledging your existence. I'm acknowledging that you are a unique individual and you're worthy of my time and attention. Because here's the thing to remember. People learn that God loves them when you love them. You're the first, you're the first line. You're plan A and there's no plan B. You get to do that. You get to acknowledge their existence, find out something about them, and in that little bit of time, you can be refreshing to them. It takes so little to encourage people. And here's the other little side benefit. I never get bad service. Almost ever. Simply, I try to acknowledge people that they exist. And, and nowadays, I am telling you, I have witnessed some things, other people treating employees, and no wonder nobody wants to work. All those help wanted signs, it's because John Q. Public can be a jerk. See what happens when you're not the jerk. All of a sudden, things start happening. It's really interesting. Here's, here's suggestion number three. Smile. Oh my gosh. Everybody's walking around all consternated and constipated and they're all looking that way and just smile at someone. Really? I mean, that's it. It's just smile. Even if you don't agree with everything you say, there's nothing wrong with smiling. Remember, everybody that you meet is fighting their own battle. You just don't know what it is and it may be different than yours. But the fact of the matter is, they're fighting it. Smiling is a real simple way to say, hey, I got you. I'm, I'm with you. I understand. I may not be able to help, but I can at least empathize. I can sympathize. Smile. Here's suggestion number four. Say a quick prayer for them. Double dog dare you. You can do it in the quiet of your own heart or you can pray for them right there on the spot. Here's the thing that I've learned is that people rarely say no when you ask if you, if you can pray for them. In fact, I don't think anybody has ever told me flat out no. Now, your personality might be like, whoa, that's a little bit much for me there, Haas. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm not sure I can do that. That's okay, I got it. 
But there's nothing wrong with just saying one of those quick, my wife calls them arrow prayers. Just those little quick little arrow prayers. Oh God, be present with this person today. I found myself when I'm sitting like in a coffee shop or a restaurant and I observe things because you know I eavesdrop, right? I told you that. Yeah, I'm really nosy. It makes me a great pastor that way because I'm nosy. But when I, when I hear, overhear some things, one of the things that I'll try to do just in my own heart is say, oh God, I don't know the whole set of circumstances, but I trust that you do. Would you just be present with them? Because the, the vast majority of people, the miracle they need is the presence of God in that moment. That's what they need. So pray for that, for them. You're, you're trying to pray in their best interest. God's presence is always in their best interest. Always, always, always. There's no time where his presence isn't in the best interest of people. And so say a little prayer for them. Now, if you want to pray for them directly, whew, that'll be fun. You come tell me that story. I want to hear that one. That'll be good. Here's the, here's the fifth one. <clears throat> when you speak to individuals, speak truth in love. Now, some of you know that I harp on this because I swear every time I hear somebody talk about speaking truth in love, they emphasize the truth piece of it. And usually the truth piece is something critical about you and your character. There is something wrong with you. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to love you enough to tell you the truth that you're sinning. Yeah, let me know how that works out for you. Now, let me tell you another side to that. And I love this. And this is where I'm, where I'm personally trying to learn to speak truth and love. It is also true that that person is made in the image of God. It has infinite value to their father so much so that he sent his son to die. That they can be adopted as sons and daughters of a living God who has not abandoned them but loves them so richly and so deeply I can't even describe it to you. That is just as true as sin. And I think sometimes people need to stop hearing how much they've sinned and how much they've disappointed whoever it is, the church or their parents or I don't know but they need to know that there's an alternative story and the alternative story is that there's a God who will never leave them nor forsake them. Yeah, they gotta make the step and they gotta do the trust, but you know what? If you don't love them, they're never gonna figure out that God loves them. So if you're gonna speak truth in love, you better be real careful about the truth you're speaking. You hear me? I don't mind if if. Holy Spirit says that you've got to call them out on your sin. Whoa, first you better be prayed up on that one. But I think most people need the encouragement that there is a God who loves them. Now, don't get me wrong. I think sometimes we overdo, oh, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, that's probably true. There are a dozen different ways of saying that. You just got to be creative and figure them out. But that's just as true as anything else. Can we harp on that truth? That there's this kingdom out there that Jesus came to establish that's about alleviating suffering and about finding value in who people really are and the fact that they have a destiny that God has set out before them, that they were known before they were even in their mother's womb and, and that God has never forgotten them, has never abandoned them and even in their worst set of circumstances, he's there 
and he can redeem anything that you've experienced, that is just as true as anything else. People are desperate to hear that message. Desperate to hear it. Maybe you can create a relationship with him and build that into him over a period of time. But one thing that I can say for sure is that if you do even one of these steps, you are going to be more refreshing than 99% of the other people that that person came in contact with that day. Right? The only other people that I think that might have a better time of it are those who sell ice cream. Simple little things that we can, we can do to refresh others. I don't know, maybe you have some other ideas. I believe in the creativity of God and the fact that we're in a room this size, we probably have a never uh, or an unending well of, of ideas on how we can be refreshing and encouraging to other people. I just, I just challenge you to, to ask God, how can I do this and who can I do it with? It doesn't have to be this... Know, major crusade. It can just be something that's in your heart. I love talking to um, cashiers at the grocery store. Some of you heard me tell these stories before, but I was a cashier for a number of years, and uh, my mission was, if you were buying groceries from me, we're going to talk. So when I go into a grocery store, if I'm buying groceries from you, guess what? We're going to have a conversation. Uh, and I enjoy that. Elizabeth and I have this thing we like to find out if people like to play. Uh, we want to play. And there are some people, they don't want to play, and that's okay. They're having a bad day. That's all right. You just be kind to them and watch what happens. Maybe not this time, but the next time. People who like, who like to play, they're fun. I enjoy those. But everybody deserves that level of encouragement from me and from all of us. Because again, people learn that God loves them when we love them. It starts with you. God, it's a big responsibility to be your hands and feet. And sometimes we have to pick up that responsibility and it's awfully heavy. But the fact of the matter is that in order to be refreshed, sometimes we have to refresh others first. And my prayer is, oh God, that the people we come in contact would indeed learn that you love them simply because we love them in some small way. I would ask that you would put in the heart, in the very DNA of Thrive Church, to be a refreshing place. We're not going to get it right every time, I know that. But we're going to learn. We're going to learn how to do that. To learn how to be encouraging people to take the lessons that we've learned from those who have been encouraging to us and apply them to the relationships that we have with others, whether they're just you know, real simple, quick interactions or whether they're long-term relationships. God, ultimately speaking, we want the kingdom to come about and the kingdom is a refreshing place. And there is no person that I come in contact with that I don't want to help recover and recuperate so that they can re-engage in their destiny because you made them for something so much more, and I dare not take any of them lightly. I don't know what you have in store for each individual, but I want to join you in helping them be on that right path. 
What a privilege that is. So God, as we are gathered uh, together and as we pray and as we worship you for the good God that you really are, merciful, mighty, all of those things, I pray that that would so change us that we'd be willing to share it with someone else in some small way. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit so much so that it pushes out all the junk, all the sin, all the nonsense, all our foolishness, but your goodness would come and spill out on the people around us. It doesn't matter what personality we have, we can still be encouraging to the people that we come in contact with every day. Show us how to do that better, Lord. Help us to be a refreshing people. I'm going to thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.